Today's scripture reading, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider the appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The, door, the, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is attending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. The word of the Lord, please be seated. I uh, recently became a father. Thank you. Became a father for the fourth time. Never so much applause on that part. Really no applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. Then they just treat you like you're Amish. Four, well, that's one way to live your life. Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? Four kids. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. The good news is we live in a two-bedroom apartment. So I fought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. Four kids. Bedtime is a crisis. That's why I'm here right now. It's too hard. They act like they've never been to sleep before. Bed? What's that? No, I don't want to do that. Then it becomes some hostage negotiation. But in reverse. Look, if you stay in there, I will give you whatever you want. I will meet your demands. What do you want, a helicopter to Cuba? Anything. 
just stay in there. There's always one awake. Like they're taking shifts. All right, I'll annoy him from midnight to two. Who wants three to six? Now let's lie down and practice kicking him in our sleep. Because my wife has instituted this open door policy where if one of our kids has a nightmare, they're welcome to come in our room and pee in our bed. <laughs> Luckily, that only happens every night. Probably just keep that going, right? Thanks to Jim Gaffigan for uh, getting us started on this topic this morning on parenting. The series is Parenting Ain't Easy. Can I get an amen from any parents here today? Parenting ain't easy, and uh, it's on-the-job training. Uh, we do the best we can. We make mistakes, and uh, by the grace of God, uh, we are forgiven. We move forward as parents, but it's not easy. It ain't easy. And uh, Pastor Mark launched the series last weekend talking about nurturing all of God's children, not just our own. Uh, the African proverb, it takes a village, was lifted up. And Pastor Mark reminded us that each child in the world needs to know that they're loved, they're important, they're cared for, they're nurtured, which is what makes Compassion International so wonderful. And I want to encourage you, if the Lord is stirring your heart a little bit on this, to keep praying about that and uh, have conversations with our Compassion uh, team in the, in the hallway uh, and just talk uh, informally about the possibility of you um, a sponsoring a compassion child. Um, our, our compassion child is uh, Anhalia, and she uh, is in constant communication with us. She wanted us to make sure we knew uh, the gifts she had picked out for her birthday, and we've been in a relation, uh, sponsor relationship with her uh, over the years now. And, and I can tell you firsthand how powerful this is for our family to write these communications, see the pictures, share our lives uh, with each other. And so uh, if God is stirring on your heart, uh, please continue that uh, conversation with the Lord and with our, our compassion team. This week, we're going to talk about uh, the comparing game. Um, and uh, Ray and his wife, Deborah, go to the preschool conference. Anyone been to a parent-teacher conference? All right, you might connect with this next clip. Uh, they have twin sons, and the teacher's walking them through their work. Take a look. These are the pre-K assessment forms, and uh, here are some numbers, and they both know their numbers, but they each got the nine wrong. They said it was a six. That's a common error. But, you know, I guess if, if you showed it to them like this, right, I mean, it could have been upside down. Uh, no, we <laughs> showed it to them like this. Oh. <laughs> Don't worry, it's a common, common. It's a common error. <laughs> and, uh, well, here are some letters, and they both know all their letters. Oh, well, I do that with them every day. A, B, C, D. Well, you know that song. <laughs> you okay? Something bad is coming. <laughs> Am I right? No, no, not at all. Let's just, um, well, here. This is a test where the child is asked to cut with scissors on the line. So here's Jeffrey. Yeah, that's pretty good yeah. there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Michael. <laughs> just, Michael just needs to work on the skill a little. 
A little? Would he chew the paper? <laughs> Michael just doesn't know how to hold the scissors properly, and he seems a little reluctant to try. Oh, so why do you think that is? Is he stupid? You should tell yeah. us. <laughs> no, no. Not at all. This kind of thing is just a sign of slight immaturity, that's all. And Michael might be just a little young for his age. But they're supposed to be identical. <laughs> Was that it? Is it just the scissor thing? Well, let's see. Here's some shapes where they draw shapes. So here's Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. And here's Michael. <laughs> and let's see. And then they were supposed to draw pictures of themselves. So here's Jeffrey. There's Michael. <laughs> First, he didn't want to draw, but then I talked him through it and just lacks a little detail. Well, in my opinion, Michael's only slightly behind the other children, and I'm sure he'll be fine to move on to kindergarten. But there's a question? Oh, well, not with me, but the kindergarten teacher, Rita, will come down and make her own evaluation. So Michael might have to stay in preschool for one more year. It, it happens sometimes. And it's better if it happens in preschool because there's no shame in repeating at this age. Sure, right. But this kindergarten lady, Rita, she'll make the call? Yes. Is she tough? <laughs> and what do you mean? You know... <laughs> you really gotta leave him back? I mean... What about that other kid I saw, the one licking the blackboard? Ray, it's not a competition. You know, my biggest concern is splitting up the boys because they're so close. Well, I thought of that. And, you know, if it comes down to it, they could both stay in pre-K one more term. Again, they're on the younger side, and moving forward at this age isn't crucial. I don't know. Maybe that would be best. Yeah. I, what do you think? Is the board liquor moving up? So comparing their own kids or twin sons, comparing them to the other students in the class, it's easy to do. We fall into that trap every day. Yet study after study after study after study suggests when we compare our children either to other siblings or to other children, it jeopardizes their self-esteem and has other negative impacts in their life. Similar experience happened uh, in that clip uh, with Kathy uh, and myself. We were at Lauren's uh, preschool uh, uh, parent-teacher conference. We were uh, sitting with Miss Ryan, and uh, our son is four years older, and she was in preschool, and we were sitting at that little table, and my knees were up to my ears, and, um, and uh, this was up in Minnesota, and, and I said, um, she was showing us some of Lauren's work, and I started saying something like, well, when AJ was in preschool, and she basically put the needle across the record and, and she just went, and stopped it, and she goes, we do not compare our children to one another. And I was like, whoa, we don't? And uh, she was very clear that this is not a healthy thing to do. Each of our children are unique, and uh, they, they all come at things differently and have different gifts and, and, and those kinds of things. And, and I was just sort of, I was just really like, wow, I just got corrected here. 
So got in the car with Kathy on the way home, and of course they said, well, I'm really glad Mr. Ann corrected me there. That was good. No, I didn't say that. I said, what was that all about? Of course we're supposed to compare our children to one another. How else do you know how they're doing at certain ages? How, how else do you know how they're doing on the ball field? How else do you know how they're doing socially? I mean, we got to compare. That's what we do as parents. And Kathy goes, yeah, I think she gave us something to think about there. They're now 16 and 20, and parenting still ain't easy. Again, on, on the job training, um, if, if any of you young parents think when they turn 20 it gets easier, I'm here to tell you it doesn't. They're still your kids. You still love them. You still care about them. You still worry about them. And uh, the, the problems change and the challenges change, but the challenge of parenting ain't easy stays the same. We love them more than life itself. Uh, they are unique. They are both unique children of God. They have uh, come at different things in different times and in different places, different interests. They're, they're incredibly different. And to compare them to one another is harmful. We have a text today from 1 Samuel in your worship Bibles on page 226, 1 Samuel 16. The, uh, the comparison game has been going on in Scripture from day one. Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. Now we have um, an interesting scene. This is one of my favorite Bible stories in the entire Scriptures. And it has, it's just packed with some incredible insights and particularly lets us in on God's heart and, and God's wiring. In 16.1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? we got to pause and make sure we know who we're talking about here. Sometimes we come at Scripture and we're like, Okay, I heard Samuel, I heard Saul. Who are they? I need to brush up on church school or my Old Testament readings. Who are these guys? Well, So let's ask, who is Samuel? Samuel is the son of Hannah. Hannah was unable to have a child. And some of you who know Scripture may be familiar with Hannah's song. It's this beautiful prose in Scripture. And she prays and, 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 and cries out to God and, and for the blessing of a child. And she promises God, if I have a child, she's unable to have them. If I have a child, then I will dedicate this child to you, Lord. And so that's exactly what she did. And her child was actually raised by a judge called Eli. A priest. And so um, he was raised in the faith and in the, in the community of faith of the day of God's people. And she, uh, Hannah would come and visit him. But boy, he, he was really dedicated, I mean, given to be brought up in the rituals and the faith of their people. Samuel was Israel's last judge. From Moses to the first king, Saul, there was a tribal union, so to speak, of, of the 12 tribes of Israel that was sort of, you know, just sort of, sort of disjointed, sort of together tribal union, and, and the judges would keep order, and everyone knew who Samuel was. He was the last judge, but then the first to anoint the first king because the people wanted a king. So Saul was the first king, and in this text we learn who the next king is, so Samuel anointed the first two kings of Israel. So Samuel, the Lord says to Samuel, the judge, how long will you mourn for Saul? Now, Saul's not dead. But his monarchy is. Still on the throne, but God says, he's been, on, he's been disobedient to me. I'm, 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 I'm changing the guard. I want a new king. 
How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn, Samuel, with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. You ever hear of Bethlehem? Christmas scripture? Jesus' birthplace? Bethlehem is the city of David. This is all the same story. This is a thousand years before, give or take, before the birth of Christ. Same story. God anointing a king from the house of David, Jesse the father. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel's great. How am I supposed to do that? King Saul gets word of this. He's going to wipe me out. The king finds out I'm on my way to anoint another king. I'm done. Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So we're going to do this in a ritual of our people. It'll be safe. We'll do it this way. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did in verse 4 what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him because they all know who Samuel is. The last judge, the one who anointed King Saul, he's a pretty big deal. They say, do you come in peace? He goes, yeah, in peace. Come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come to the sacrifice with me. So he consecrates Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, this is the, what, probably the oldest son of Jesse. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Verse 7, now lean in for this one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, both very impressive. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 7, look at the screen. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. Soul, a character. Not the outward appearance. This would be the son you'd think would be the next king. Here comes Eliab. He's the guy. He's the oldest. He's the strongest. He reminds us of Saul. He looks just like him. He'll look great in the robe. Probably will fit. This is not the one I'm thinking about. People look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. I look at the heart. Then Jesse, moving on, calls Abinadab, had him pass in front of Samuel. Can you imagine? Can you picture this scene? Father's there. He's got his sons. Samuel the judge is there with a horn of oil. He's going to anoint the next king. Here comes the next son. Is it me? Can you just see him walking by in this ritual? And God keeps telling Samuel in the moment, not him, not him, not him. We get through all the sons, seven, kids, seven brothers. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I think my favorite comedic line from this text, verse 11, so Samuel asked the father, are these all the sons you have? <laughs> is this it? This is it? Because I've been through, they've all paraded by me, and none of them are going to be king. So you got anybody else? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. This is David, the youngest sibling. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit till he arrives. So he sent for him, had him brought in. Picture this, scholars believe, anywhere from 10 to 15 years old. Coming in, he's like, what's going on? This looks important. Looking at his brothers, looking at his dad. Samuel, whoa. 
He was glowing and with health, had a fine appearance, handsome features. The original language of the Old Testament said ruddy, which means he either had red hair or red skin. Pictured David as a redhead. It's sort of fascinating. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Why? Because people look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And in this moment, Samuel anoints the boy who would be king. And he would wait. After slaying Goliath, he'd wait about 15 years to take the throne. In this story, God wipes out the comparing game in this moment. Oh, not the one the world would think. Oh, not the one the other brothers might. Well, if not the oldest, then surely this one or the next. No, no, because God is looking at his heart. We learn from Scripture later, David is a man after God's own heart. There's an alignment there, and God knew that. So he would have to wait. Saul would die, and then David would take the throne. What about comparing him to his brothers? What about the strength of the oldest? He's not ready. He's too young. He's not, old. He's not strong enough. He doesn't have the leadership skills. The heart. What if we stopped playing the comparing game with our kids or grandkids, or other kids around as parent figures in their lives, and focused more on that? With uh, a nod to psychology today and Dr. Erin Leonard, uh, I tripped over an article uh, she wrote about this topic, comparing uh, children to one another, uh, as well as scripture for encouragement, and as well as my own life experiences as a parent for 20 years now, I want to walk us through quickly uh, three things to help us stay out of the parenting uh, trap of comparing our kids to one another. The first, one, first word of encouragement is to empathize with our children, not criticize. Empathize, don't criticize. I want to share a story with you, and I'm not proud of it, but I want to share it with you because I want to hopefully share it and have a parent here never do this with their child. When I did this with my oldest son in fifth grade, it nominated me for worst father ever in the history of the universe, and I'm not playing that down. I was devastated and broken after this happened when I realized it in hindsight. But I want to share it with you because I want you to know I'm in this with you and I go through parenting with you and it's, it's a grind and it ain't easy. AJ was playing tackle football in fifth grade in Minnesota and we were uh, watching him play a game and AJ, football wasn't his thing. Not his thing. Um, gifted athlete, hand-eye coordination, uh, and great physical skills for, for some sports, but not this one because he wasn't wired for it. I can do an impression of AJ for you quickly of him going after a loose fumble in the middle of the field with, te- with players from both teams about to go into the rugby scrum to get the football, right? It's a fumble. This is my impression of my son in fifth grade going to get that fumble. Ready? Eh, someone else will probably get that. As kids are diving and piling in. And the rest of the game kind of went like that as he was on the field. He got in the car, he got in the back seat. And here's, here's where 
you know, I'm just putting myself out there with you. I said, AJ, if you're not going to try, don't play. I said, if that's the effort you're going to give, I'm not going to watch you. You're wasting my time. The other kids are trying. Can you at least try? Not good. In fact, horrible. He cried. He cried. I was comparing him. I was criticizing him. I had a chance to encourage him, to empathize with him, and say, you know, I remember being your age, and I, I, was, I, I, I participated in some things that, you know, I, I just wasn't into, or, you know, I didn't, you know and I could have gone that route, but no, I went right to criticism. Parents, please don't ever do that, that I did that, that afternoon on a Saturday in Minnesota. Criticism, comparing them. We have a scripture from 1 Thessalonians that helps us and encourages us today. It says, encourage one another and build each other up. Parents, that's the option to comparing and criticizing our kids in their activities, in their school, socially, athletics. These are, these are the words of encouragement. A study has been done of successful college athletes, and there's a thread that the studies have found the college athletes were asked, what words did your parents tell you growing up that encouraged you along the way in your sport? And the thread came down to the only six words a parent should say to their child after their activity, sport, whatever their schoolwork, whatever. I love to watch you fill in the blank. Not criticizing not doing all that. Just, I love to watch you play, sing, work so hard in school, blah, 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 help your friends. Fill in the blank. So empathize, don't criticize. Secondly, validate character over achievement. Character. Lift up character. Achievements are great. Trophies are great. We all might remember that first trophy we got and we put it on top of the dresser. What a feeling that is. It's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Pastor Tim is not saying awards and trophies aren't, aren't good. But if they're the priority, you've got it backwards. Lift up what? Character over achievement. The great basketball coach, John Wooden, one of my favorite quotes of his is, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. The Lord looks at the heart, the character. Oh, the achievements are impressive. But what if parents, instead of comparing each other, uh, all our kids to their own siblings or to other kids we know, what if we just lifted up the kid's character more than the achievement? After the three-goal soccer game, instead of the first words out of our mouth as a parent is, wow, those three goals were awesome, what if we lifted up the character? Wow, I really love the way you covered that one player in your zone. That was so awesome. Wow, I really love the way you passed the ball forward up the field to your teammate. I love the way you went over and encouraged your teammate who was having a tough time out there. What if that was lifted up? Not the achievement itself. And then maybe get to, yeah, it was great to see you score. 
Galatians 5, 23 lists the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What if these were the things we lifted up in our kids instead of their achievements? What if these were the trophies and the plaques in the room? I love how patient you are. You're such a good kid. I love your gentle soul. This lifts up a culture that's not achievement-driven, that's not comparison-driven. Finally, celebrate the uniqueness of each child, the uniqueness of each child, instead of comparing them all the time. So let's celebrate that. I brought with you a visual. This is my son's art project. I'll give you a look at it on the screen here. This was done in college last month. No, this is... <laughs> this is um, a halfway effort of our son. Um, early, late grade school, early middle school for art class. We call it the duck dish. It is a prominent place in our home, actually, because it tells us about his uniqueness. And when he first brought it home, the message was, yeah, I'll put the eyes on it, I guess. I hope you can tell that's a beak. It's not going to be perfectly round. Do I have to spray this thing? I guess I'll put some things on the bottom so it can stand level. I'll get it done. Not his passion. Not his thing. And yet, this symbolizes his uniqueness. Our other child would, would have made a perfect circle, would have had everything in alignment, would have done the bill four times to make sure it was the way she wanted, and neither would be better than the other. He's unique. This is his wiring. He got it done. Let's move on. Let's do something else. The duck dish, the uniqueness of our children is to be celebrated, to be lifted up, because the alternative is to compare them and to put them into a big you know, bracket, a big file of all the kids need to be the same. The uniqueness of your schoolwork, the uniqueness of your ability, the uniqueness of your spiritual gifts, I'm going to lift those up as a parent. I'm not going to play the comparison game with my kids. Let's come full circle to this verse. We can bring that up. Jeremiah, oh, go back one, I'm sorry. Jeremiah says, I knew you before I formed you in my mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. God makes us unique and sets us apart. Now this last one. Go ahead. People look at the outward appearance, 1 Samuel 16 from today's text, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. Parents, grandparents, parent figures, empathize. See the uniqueness in these children. Celebrate how God made them just the way they are. And lift up their character over any achievement 
they will ever accomplish. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the challenge and the call to parenting, the difficulties, the challenges. It ain't easy. And yet, it's a calling. And when we fail as parents, and we do, we lean on your grace and forgiveness to meet another day. Encourage us by your Holy Spirit to be parents who lift up character, celebrate the uniqueness of our children, Lord. When we catch ourselves in the comparison game, help us to pause and just take a step back. And remember that you look to the heart. And may we now, moving forward as parents, grandparents and parent figures, would you stir us to be focused on that in our children as a priority in their lives? It's in Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen.